Well, all right. So we've been in a series the last couple of weeks called Saving Power. And, uh, you know, the, the impetus for this series, there's a couple of things going on. One is that we're continuing on in the Gospel of Matthew. We've been on this journey for quite some time. And uh, the end is in sight maybe in 2024. We'll see. Um, you laugh, but I've mapped it out. So um, it, it's there. Anyway, but this series won't last that long, praise Jesus. And so, um, but what we are doing, so we are going through the Gospel of Matthew. We've reached the point where uh, it's not just Jesus teaching anymore, but it's actually seeing stuff that Jesus did and also getting to see what the disciples got to see through what's recorded through uh, Matthew's eyes. And so the great thing about Matthew chapters 8 and 9 is that we get this, a couple of different snapshots of real people who experienced a real God with a real power to save them, to actually bring salvation into, the, for them, the here and now, um, and for them to experience that uh, in that moment. And so our first week, you can go to the next slide, uh, in verses 1 through 4, we looked at the man with leprosy who came to Jesus as Jesus is coming down off the mountain. Uh, he's with his posse of disciples, and he's, he's going into Capernaum, which is where his home base was for much of his ministry. And with the man with leprosy, what we discovered was that restored lives, this man had a restored life, restored lives witness to God's power to save everyone who believes. It was this man's faith to go to Jesus and to declare his faith in Jesus, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And so Jesus said, I will. Uh, I both want to and I can, so I will. Uh, be clean. And the man was healed completely, and Jesus said, go uh, to the temple and, you know, re restore yourself to the community that way. Now, then we continued on. We looked at the Roman centurion who, along this journey that Jesus was making, he actually arrives in Capernaum, and he's met by this Roman centurion uh, who has been hearing word about what Jesus had been doing, what Jesus had been teaching, um, and we learned that the belief in Jesus is the catalyst to restore life. Because for this man, um, all he did was he came to Jesus. He said, my servant is sick. Please heal him. Jesus said, I will go to there. <laughs> and he said, no, 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 no. I'm not even worthy for you to come under my roof, which shows the centurion's humility. But he said, just say the word. Your word is enough to make this happen. I believe in your word, Jesus to make it so. And so Jesus said, wow, this is amazing. I haven't seen any faith like this in all of Israel. And he used that as a teaching moment to his disciples. But then he said, go and let it be for you as you have believed. And so belief in Jesus is the catalyst to restored life. Last week, we picked up on, it's kind of a summarizing, overarching view of Jesus' healing ministry. It was a one-day snapshot uh, where it started at Peter's mother-in-law's house, uh, which uh, some scholars say that that was probably where Jesus stayed, um, where he, would, he was couch surfing a little bit. And uh, when he would come to town, he would stay in Peter's house, and that's where he was. 
And we learned that freedom and healing are fulfilled through God's saving power and how when the people were brought to Jesus, um, rumor had gotten out and he healed everyone who came to him. And everybody got to experience that freedom and healing. He cast out demons, he healed the sick, uh, he cleaned, you know, it didn't say this in the text, but if there was somebody with leprosy who came to him at that moment, he could have cleaned them, right? And in that moment, Matthew draws the link for us back to the prophet Isaiah, chapter 53, where it says that he, um, he took our illness on himself, he bore our diseases. And um, that's a reference to the saving work of the Messiah, the promised one, the Savior of the world who was to come. And it also kind of foreshadows for us what Jesus was going to do. And so freedom and healing, it's fulfilled in God's saving power. Now, this week, you can go to the next slide. Um, the title for today's message is Wind, Waves, and the Word That Saves. I came up with that, and I thought, wow, I didn't even mean to rhyme, and it just came out like that. Wind, waves, and the word that saves. Our passage is uh, Matthew 8, 23 through 27. Don't worry, we'll come back at a later date and pick up on those verses on the cost of discipleship. But the big idea that we're going to be learning together today from our text is that through it all, God never lets go. God never lets go through it all. Anything we face, he never lets go. We can run away from him, but he doesn't run away from us. He is with us always, and we are in his hand. And so with that, some of the, uh, before we get into the text today, I want to share uh, a story with you. And I don't have any fun image to go along with it, but about seven years ago, um, it was a season of change for me and my family. We had just spent a year and a half in Albany, um, or I guess a year up until that point. Um, I got to go to our pastor's prayer retreat in our, our group of churches, um, and this never happens. As somebody with the last name Walls and W, I never get picked I'm not throwing a pity party. Like, I never win a lottery or any, like, fun ticket prize kind of thing. It just so happened at this prayer retreat, I, I won. I won the, the coveted prize of getting to stay at the World Mark up at Depot Bay, um, which I'd never been to. I didn't even know what World Mark was. And then Angie told me it was a timeshare, and I thought, oh, they're going to try to get us. Um, <laughs> I don't think they did that time. <laughs> but anyway, so we stayed at the World Mark, and, um, and as is true to Oregon fashion, it was, uh, there were stormy days. And that particular time of what was coming into the wintertime, the waves were getting stronger. Um, and where our, our lookout was, um, we were right above just this kind of this group of rocks and whatnot, and the waves would just crash up onto there. And I'm a sheltered person, but that was the first time I'd ever seen waves in person that big. You always see them in the movies, but this was my first like real life interaction. Um, and it was amazing because to me, uh, it, it was kind of a moving moment because 
it was like I was literally seeing chaos down there with all the waves crashing against the rocks. And for me, there was chaos in my soul. Um, I had just uh, stepped out of the lead pastorship at uh, one of our churches, and um, I was in a season of discovering, okay, God, what do you have next for me in my life? And um, I was serving as a, a worship leader at the time, but um, I got to go to this trip with uh, Angie and the kids and experiencing that. And from that, it, it's like I got to see for the culmination for the first time this idea that God had been leading me through almost like it's been for my whole life, where through the difficult times, through the proverbial storms, if you will, of life, God is present through it all. He's with us. He's with you this morning. And he was with me back then. And um, the reason I, I bring this up is uh, in that time, it's ironic because Richard's right there. Richard and I, we went to school together for one year, and he had offered up, hey, Tim, anytime you want to record at my recording studio, just come on out. We'll, we'll do something. And so I was building my resume and <laughs> at the time, and so I started recording this CD project at his recording studio. And a song that came from that project, um, one of the main lines is that, uh, that I wrote in that weekend was, through the calm, and through the storm, my soul finds rest in you alone. And just that message where God is my safe place, God is with me through the storm, that's, that's just something that has just so ingrained in who I am uh, in my experience with God. And so this morning, the fun thing is that we get to see the disciples go through a storm. We get to look at, you know, Jesus and his disciples. At this point in the story, as Matthew records it, um, there probably aren't 12 in the boat. There would have been enough room for the 12, but probably at this time, there's only about, you know, four or five, like James, John, Peter, Andrew, and maybe Matthew, right? And so, but at this point, there's about five disciples who are with Jesus. They've counted the cost. Uh, they've decided, yeah, it's so worth following Jesus. Uh, he's this amazing teacher. He's called us to follow him. And, uh, you know, uh, he would be our rabbi and we would be his disciples. They've chosen to follow him. And Jesus gets into a boat after this teaching and healing engagement um, up in Capernaum, which is at the north side of the Sea of Galilee, and they're traveling south. And in this story, what we're about to read, we get to see another side of Jesus' saving power, that awesome, mighty authority and power, um, and we'll touch on that more in a moment. Now, this is happening, uh, there, the main setting is they're in the middle of the sea and of Galilee, and they were prompted through this relationship of discipleship. Jesus said, I'm getting in the boat. They went into the boat. And so by God's leading, the disciples are going into this experience, and they don't know what kind of an experience it's going to be yet. We'll touch on that in a moment. But isn't that amazing how the walk of faith 
in so many ways, you start when everything's good. Well, maybe. Or like there's some kind of a calm and like this great revelation moment and God calls you and you're like, yes, Jesus, I will follow you. And then life goes on. And sometimes it's good and sometimes it's really hard. And this is uh, a moment where, like we touched on in our songs a little bit ago, where uh, it's almost like the disciples are being sanctified through this moment, set apart in that way and refined through that. And all of this is really to, to, you know, we get to see the disciples be saved, where they've seen everybody else experience God's amazing power, and they actually get to see God's amazing power firsthand for themselves. And that further reveals to them both who Jesus is and what Jesus does. They get to learn about his character. So if you have your Bibles, please turn with me to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, beginning in verse 23. Um, You can follow along on the screen or in a physical Bible. Either one is good. All right, here we go. And when he, meaning Jesus, when he got into the boat, that his disciples followed him. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves, but he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? Friends, this is the word of the Lord recorded by the Apostle Matthew. And the first thing we learn from our passage, you can go to the next slide, is that Christ is present with us through it all. Christ is present with us through it all. Now, the interesting thing, as I was doing my study about the Sea of Galilee, I've never personally been there. I have some friends who are over there right now. I'm super crazy jealous of that, but that's okay. Someday I'll get there. But, you know, the unique thing that uh, scholars have said about the Sea of Galilee is that, um, so, is that it's actually relatively small. Uh, When you think about a sea, um, it's actually a small body of water. Um, But to the Jewish mindset, it was a great sea. (laughs) And, uh, but also to other people like uh, the writer of the Gospel of Luke, he calls it a lake. (laughs) <laughs> and so I uh, think like Wohink or something, you know, you just where it seems like a great body of water and really maybe it's, it's smaller than that. And so uh, the neat thing about it is that it's 13 miles long. So probably from north to south, 13 miles, seven miles wide, but it's 150 feet deep. That's pretty far down if you were to sink to the bottom. And the shoreline Beyond all that, what makes it so unique is that the shoreline, so where that lake level starts, is 680 feet below sea level. And what is so dynamic about this is that 
you would have these storm fronts moving in over the mountain ridges all above this, and that would whip up the sea into a frenzy. And so the different storms that would come on, um, they would actually just come suddenly. And some of the disciples were experienced at this, and some were not. Some of them were fishermen, some of them were not. And um, with the disciples, they went in thinking they were, you know, they departed and everything was calm. And then suddenly the storm hits. It arose. And so the other thing that's unique is that storms don't usually come at night. That was another secure moment for them. So they didn't see it coming. Now, what's fascinating to me about this is that Jesus is with them through it all. It says, you know, in verse oh, 24, that he was asleep. Uh, some scholars say that uh, there's a really good chance, you know, in Jesus' humanity, even though he's both fully God and fully man, in his humanity, he was exhausted. He's what I felt like last night at the end of this full day of <laughs> installing things. He was juiced. It was not, it was a bad time. And he, he slept through all this chaos. That is, that's remarkable. It's kind of like my mom used to say about my dad, an atomic bomb could go off above our house and he'd still stay asleep. And so Jesus, he was asleep. He was out. And, and the disciples were there. And even still, after all they've seen of Jesus, performing all these amazing miracles, saying all these amazing things, they don't have peace because they think they're going to die. Because <laughs> these waves, uh, the way it, it, it talks about, hold on, let me get there. So the word storm that's there, it's unique because it's actually the Greek word that relates to an earthquake. Can you imagine a sea that is that tumultuous? I don't like it. I don't like that idea. Um, and then, not only that, but it's so tumultuous, and here are these guys who know what to do, and they're freaking out. Oh, and the word swamped means that it's kind of like, I was watching some documentary where it was like this, this picture of a wave, and the wave was like coming up over it. The wave was completely drenching them. It's like, ah, oh, those movies where all is lost at this point. They're freaking out. And that's why they come to Jesus and say, we're going to die. Now, the ironic thing to me is that I am what you might call a land lover. I really, I like the land. I like security. I like to be safe. Um, even as I get older, I don't like to go flying. <laughs> I, I like solid ground that much. So much so that when we first moved here, uh, Angie and I, we had a neighbor down the street who was selling a canoe. And we've always wanted to get a canoe. So we got the canoe. And we decided to take it out on Lake Wohink, which is still water. It is just a gentle, nice pace. But I got into that boat, and I was freaking out. like. And the kids are, you know, trying to, you know, rock the boat and everything. And I'm like, don't move. 
<laughs> I, was, I was not a happy camper at that point. But what's funny to me is I would be one of those disciples crying out to Jesus saying, I'm going to die. <laughs> this is where I die. Here, here we go. But Christ is present with us through it all. And there is a beautiful security and a, a, an assurance with that, that even while everything else is going crazy, crazier than we even have ever imagined, and even when we are freaking out, Jesus is there, and he's calm. He is that calming presence with us. He is, and as Messiah, as the anointed Christ, he is present with us through it all. And he never lets go. So, continuing on, next slide, is that Christ is greater than what we're going through. And so, they went, they woke him up, and they, all they say, uh, if you were to read it in Greek, all they say is three words, save, Lord, we die. <laughs> we're perishing. I mean, even that picture where, you know, they're bailing water out, and I imagine it was a lot of water, so they were probably pretty breathless, and so all they can get out is that, but they're crying out to God, save, Lord, we perish, we die, right? And the disciples, they, they were bailing water, Jesus was sleeping, and they had reached the end of their resources, but Jesus hadn't even gotten started yet. He wasn't, he wasn't bailing the water yet. And so in that place where we know who God is, we can trust that the one who can control storms in the natural realm can also help the storms that we face. And in, in that verse snapshot, they didn't know that yet. But here is this person that they've been following. Jesus called them. Here's this person who's, you know, they've been walking with. They've been sleeping in the same camp. They've been having meals with him. They've been sitting under his teaching. They've been seeing crazy, miraculous things happen where this is like the stuff that you read about in the prophets and the histories and like, but greater than that. And I mean, think about this. Jesus just said, go to the centurion, and it will be as you have believed, and it happened. That's a staggering thought. And so they exhaust all their resources. <laughs> My bad. Here we go. They exhaust all their resources and their coffee. <laughs> and, uh, and, and they're finally at the end of their rope. They've done all they can think to do. And then they finally cry out to Jesus. It kind of makes me wonder, why didn't they start there? It also makes me wonder, why don't I start there? You know, when, and I, I'm notorious for this, because, you know, thankfully, you know, uh, I, I've, uh, in life, I, I've, I've amassed a certain amount of practical wisdom on different things at times. Sometimes I don't employ it, but it happens. It's there. 
You know, and, you know, I, I'm pretty skilled at different things. I'm what a lot of people call a jack-of-all-trades. I, I dabble in a little bit of everything. Um, I'm not fantastic at, all, at it all, but I can dabble. And so usually I don't, I don't get worried too much about other things. I'm like, well, I'll, I'll just get it done. And I was reminded this last week at, at this uh, retreat that Angie and I went to that it's important for us to empty ourselves before the Lord and to rely on Him. And what I was reminded of is that, like the song that we sang earlier, I Surrender All, it's been a long time since I've sang that song. And in a lot of ways, I've been relying a lot on my own abilities and less on God's abilities to do things through me. And I was challenged by that this week. And so the reminder in this passage is that Christ is greater than what we're going through. He's, he's never going to let go. He's still there. He, he's asleep. <laughs> he, you know, he's just hanging out. And, uh, but at the same time, we don't know this in the passage or the text or anything. We don't know if Jesus was just like waiting, like with one eye open. We don't know. He was probably exhausted, so probably not. But I mean, what if Jesus was just waiting for the disciples to cry out to him? Like boats are rocking, waves swamping over, completely consuming the, the, the boat, the little dinghy that's there and, you know, um, and they're bailing out and like, finally, they reach the point, and it's like, Jesus, won't you just get up, and won't you start helping? What, you know, grab a bucket, Jesus, come on, let's go. And what if they had started there? Or what if they had just said, Lord, isn't there anything you can do? I'm challenged by it. But through it all, God doesn't let go. And uh, you can go to the next slide. Uh, Another thing that I learn in this passage is that Christ is mighty to save us. He's mighty to save us. So Jesus issues two powerful rebukes in this passage. The first happens to his disciples. He says, why are you afraid? <laughs> I, it feels like a very self-evident moment. It's like, when I walk into my kid's room and it's all messy and I'm like, why didn't you clean it? And they look at me like, come on, what do you mean? Why is it not clean? Why, why am I afraid? Waves are crashing. Things are going crazy. Chaos everywhere. Jesus, come on. <laughs> like this, of course we're afraid. And yet Jesus still asks the question, why are you afraid? Oh, you of little faith. And so he speaks to them, and then he also follows it with his rebuke of the wind and the waves, with just his word. He rebukes it. We don't have the exact formula of what he said, though that would be really cool, but I don't think that's the point of this passage. The point is that Jesus Christ is mighty to save us. And that in that place where we are perishing, we cry out to him, Lord, save, perish. And all Jesus has to do is say a word. And he saves us with his word. 
Now, another powerful thing about this, this sequence of events, as Matthew records it, where Jesus rebukes the disciples first and then the wind and the waves, is that through it all, Jesus was certain of what the outcome was going to be. No matter how many waves hit the boat, no matter you know, how many holes they may have gotten in their ship or in their sails, no matter how tossed they were or seasick they would have been like me <laughs> at that point, you know, no matter what, Jesus was certain that they're getting to the, the region of the Gadarenes. They're getting there. They're, they're going south, and they're going to eventually, as we'll find out in the next couple of weeks, there's a man there who needs to be delivered, and Jesus is on his way to go deliver that man and those people in that region. And with that same certainty, Jesus wants to save you, and he wants to save me through whatever we're facing. Whether it's, it's actually a big deal or whether it's a small thing, in, in our anxiety and our freaking out, Jesus has a simple question. Why are you afraid? And we could look to Jesus and say, well, here's all my reasons. <laughs> Can't you, you see all the reasons? Come on. But Jesus asks us to trust him and to trust in him that we would have a faith and a belief that he is actually mighty to save us, not just the everybody else, but that he actually wants to save me and he wants to save you. And through it all, God never lets go. And Christ is mighty to save us. You can go to the, uh, that side. Yep. Ultimately, all the scholars agree, and I do too, by the way, that this story in the Gospel of Matthew is so pivotal for them because this is a moment where the disciples get to see Jesus not just as a man, but as God. That Christ is the Lord. He's not just a Lord. He's not just a mister or, you know, somebody of, of great respect and renown or authority, but he is the Lord. He is actually God. Come down to save us and to be with us. Now, when Jesus spoke the rebuke and instantly the storm was calmed, it's like just a switch went off and boom, it happened. Then the men marveled, saying, what kind of man is this that even the winds and sea obey him? What's important about this is that in Jewish understanding of, of the world and how it works, that absolute authority over nature, especially over the sea and, and you know, the waves and, and the sea, it belonged to God alone. And they get this from the creation story and how that view that God created everything out of the chaos, that he created a safe place 
for us. You can go to the next slide. It's, uh, we find a poem in Psalm 65 where the psalmist writes, by awesome deeds, you, meaning God, answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, the one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. Isn't that amazing? Now, the link here in, in the statement by the disciples, the link is that they finally are being given this encountered revelation that Jesus is God. They thought he was just this rabbi who believed in them, even though they were fishermen. <laughs> and, you know, blue collar, rough around the edges kind of folk that you know, Jesus was just somebody who thought, okay, well, you're calling me, so I guess I can go and do what you do, so I'm going to follow you. And all they see at that point is, wow, he's, the power of God is strong with this one. And, uh, <laughs> um, and with that, now they see that Christ is the Lord, that it's not just that He's some human Messiah that's going to come and, uh, and rescue Israel from the Romans and establish them among the nations again like all that. No, this is actually God. And they get a snapshot of that and they're marveling at it because this is beyond their understanding, beyond anything they've ever experienced up until that point. Now, one lesson we can learn, you know, that through it all, God never lets go, but no matter how bad the circumstances, God is in control. It's kind of like that old uh, Sunday school spiritual, he's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. Anyway, um, he does. And there's, there's a comfort in knowing that. And it was a comfort for the disciples to understand that, wow, not only can Jesus heal all these people and save all these people, he can save me too. And all he has to do is say it. Kind of like how in the beginning, all he had to do was speak it, and it was so. He, he spoke into the chaos of creation and said, let there be light, and there was light and on down the line through the, the seven days. And in one of those seven days, God created a safe place for the people to live and to exist. And God has created safe places for you. One of them, I would argue, I would like to think, would be this house and this church family that my heart as your pastor is that I want this to be a safe place 
from all the crazy that's going on in our world, even in little old Florence, there's a whole lot of crazy that can go on. And so my hope is that for you and for anybody else who, who might, you know, uh, grace the, the, the doorposts of our, our house, that they would find hope here, that they would find that Christ is the Lord, that he's present with us, that he doesn't let go, that he's with us even now by his Holy Spirit, and that this is a place where we can experience that safe refuge in God. Also, just in your daily walk with the Lord, there are moments where maybe you and I, we could start with crying out to God first. Instead of trying to do all we can and then, okay, well, that didn't really quite work as I thought. Okay, God, please save me. <laughs> maybe we could start there. And maybe we could start by saying, Lord, this day is yours. You've made it. And you've given me these new mercies for today. Help me <laughs> through it all. And reveal to me through it all what you have for me to do and what I need to not do. And I'm not just talking about, you know, sin and all that, but like, what are the things that are going to distract you off your path that he has you on, even good things? What does he have for you to do today? And through it all, like the disciples, I believe that we will find as we pursue God and we pursue that relationship with him and following him and finding him as our our Savior, our anointed Christ, is that you're going to actually get to know him better, who he is, and what he's like. And so, that's all I have for today. Wind, waves, and the God that saves, the word that saves. And through it, the saving power, I think um, this is a nice reprieve from just all the, all the healing that's going on, although that's really cool too, uh, because it, it really shows us how God is in control and that we can trust him and that we can look to him when everything is going crazy and we're freaking out. We have somebody we can go to. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. I thank you for your word, and I thank you for the experience that the disciples had Lord, thank you that I wasn't one of the guys in that boat because I would have just been adding to the noise and freaking out. But Lord, I know that there are times in my life when I do freak out and when I'm just paralyzed with fear and I forget to look to you and almost like a last-ditch effort moment of looking to you, I cry out, Lord, save, I'm going to die, just like the disciples. Lord, help me to change how I approach you, to maybe be more proactive in all that. Lord, I pray for my church family here today, God, that you would bless them and that you would keep them, and that your face would shine upon them, and that you would be giving them 
your peace day in and day out. God, that it would be a peace like that calmed storm for the disciples so that at least even just for a moment this week, they would know my God is a God who saves. And my God is with me, he is for me, and he is going to see me through to the end. And so, Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you never change and that we can trust you. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, would you stand with me and receive this as your benediction? It has been a pleasure to be here with you all, and I'm so excited for all that God has for you this week. I don't even know. I'm just excited for it. But as we go from this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Have a great week.